0: I'm going to say something here that's probably out of line, and I know that it's going to make some people mad, but. Hey, Adam, before we get started, let's don't forget to mention our sponsors. Yeah, the guys who helped bring this podcast. We couldn't do it without them. Yes, we could, but it makes it a lot easier, you know. That's right. Shin gear, waterfowl equipment that's built better. Made by waterfowlers for waterfowlers. Go get you some shin gear. Miss
1: Melissa at Duck Dog Clothing. For all your Duck Dog clothing needs, podcast gear, check out Melissa. Our website at Duck Dog Clothing, Dropbox, go in, buy a t shirt
0: or hat, supports us. We appreciate it. Don't forget your wet mutton mats and your Kong bumpers. And if you're not Kong, Jim, you're wrong. Soggy Dog Gear SoggyDogGear.com Oh, Doug over there Soggy Dog He's a dog man For all your dog training equipment He's got it there Go to SoggyDogGear.com Be sure on your flat collars To use the discount code The Dog House To get your discount On your flat collars
1: GNG Motors Columbia, Kentucky See Chaz Giles For all your large, small New and used tractors Chaz Giles at
2: GNG Motors Columbia, Kentucky
0: Guys, don't forget to check out Tetra, the hearing system that works.
2: Tetra, hear the hunt.
0: Hear the hunt. The Sullivan family has been with us a long time, guys. It's no longer Sullivan Motors. It's Sullivan Kirk Automotive, Sullivan Kirk Outfitters for your lift kits, et cetera, et cetera. Also, new and used vehicles. Those guys have supported us a long time. We'd appreciate it if you support them. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Doghouse Podcast. Back in action here, talking a little dog training with my man Lauren lodger Van. And we got back from the dead
1: <laughs> Spencer Rogers. I'm here, bud. Glad to see y'all. <laughs> Poppy in and pop out. <laughs> pop, in, pop out. Oh man. Good to see you, Spence. Good to see you, Bug. Glad to be here and yeah, looking man. at this
0: legend we're talking with today. Oh man, what a what a stud. What a stud. But um uh, Big Jim's still under the weather a little bit, so um he's got some stuff going on. Anyway, we're gonna dock some dog training today. So but before we do, don't forget about the seminar. Um you got any friends um, that may wanna hop in and come with you or whatever. I think Kev said there's a spot or two left. So um be thinking about that. And I think talk to Kevin. He's talking to some, the hotels there in the region for, he's going to do a, try to get a discounted rate. So if you haven't booked a hotel yet, just kind of hold off on that. Maybe we'll put that on, on the face page over there. So you can maybe book at a, at a better rate for you. There's a good little spot there right in Tuscaloosa. It's 12 minutes from my kennel, 15 minutes from my kennel. Um, Good eats right in that area. So it'll it'll all be good, which you shouldn't have to eat because we're going to feed you good here. All right. We're all, all delayed. Here we go. Let's talk some dogs, guys. You ready, Lauren? Yep. All right, so, Lauren, you wanted to talk about dogs going deaf. Yep. From hunting. Yep. Um, And it happens so much shooting over your dog, man. I I remember a little dog named Callie I had one time. time. Spicy Caliente was her name, and she was a young dog, um, got her master title, went home for that hunting season as a three-year-old, so – Came back, couldn't hear, 75 yards away. Really.
2: That's right. And it's basically what really happens onto that. There's other dogs that maybe you've been shooting over quite a bit, and they don't go deaf because you don't really start putting them into competition or stuff like that. But the first dog that I owned ended up with 168 points in, you might say, in the field trial game. And by the time he was six and a half years old, he was stone deaf. Now, in those days, I did not believe that a dog could go deaf. I used to hunt with my brother-in-law. Okay, of course, that's another story. We had a stone line on Stony Point. And really what would transpire is that we were hunting bluebills and stuff like that. The ducks would come flying by and everything like that. And about 15 or 20 of them would land in the decoys. And I'd say to my brother-in-law, we're going to shoot. He said, no, let them get grouped together so we can get more of them and i had a dog called josh at that time who was a fantastic animal no doubt about it and he was extra smart going going josh going going josh so my brother-in-law used to be the leader of the group he would say lauren don't shoot until i finish counting to three and he'd go one two three and we'd stand up and shoot and josh would run out there pick up the duck and come back in five minutes later another ten would come by The dog got smarter as time went on because he realized that we were going to shoot on three, but he would leave on two. Oh, Josh. So he was theoretically breaking, but we thought he was smart. He could count. And what did we do? We unloaded our six shots. Okay. Right over his head on the way out there. He would pick up that one duck that we got, (laughs) come back in. Sometimes I'd make a comment and say, shit, dad, we only got one. (laughs) He'd say, well, you didn't let them group close enough together. That's the problem. But anyway, at the end of that year, I didn't realize it, but he could not do a 150 yard landline. Really? He wouldn't stop. Okay. And I blamed it on everything. People said, well, he's running through the long grass. He's running through, it. he's running into the wind. He's doing this and doing that. And what I actually would do when he didn't stop, I had just spent $300 on a Tritronus collar, so I was going to use it. And he would stop. I imagine he would. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. He did not have to hear the whistle. He would just hear the <laughs> vibration before he would go on, and he would put the brakes on. But that ruined him. Then going back about five years ago, I have a little fellow from Quebec City who had a dog. What was his name? Francois Vizina.
0: <laughs> say
2: again. Francois Vizinot.
0: He mentioned he, that earlier. and I was like, oh, you got to say that. Oh, name. no,
2: this guy, this guy had a fantastic little dog, 11, 12 months old. Johnny Richardson was training with it onto it and it was doing really good work it came back in the next year and it wouldn't stop on the whistle and what actually transpired he went pheasant hunting in north dakota and they got their limit up there in north dakota and he was shooting over top of the dog okay and that basically in one season that dog became literally almost deaf today that dog is about nine years old ten years old stone deaf really sits on the couch and watches my music, uh, movies and stuff like that. So people remember that, a dog that breaks. Now, in the HRC thing, when I went to watch one of the Grands once upon a time up at Luther Marsh in Canada, the judges were very particular. And I watched a fellow <coughs> dog move out maybe about a foot, and he was eliminated. And I thought, holy my God, I don't have a dog that doesn't move a foot, for crying out loud, maybe if he went a little farther, you know. But it wasn't that. The judge, I was talking to the judge at the end, and he was saying, no, if that dog creeps out six inches beyond the barrel and the guy shoots, the dog's going to have a hearing problem. And he told me how his great dog went deaf. And I can tell you there's oodles and oodles of dogs out there that become hard of hearing, which doesn't really affect them when you say hunting but it definitely affects them when you're trying to run a hunt test or a field trial so be very very careful you know and we have tried everything we have tried sticking cotton batting in their ears and stuff like that and it does not work people (laughs) so just remember that creeping is not only a thing that you want to try to eliminate it's also a thing that is dangerous for the dog okay so uh it's it's it stands to reason that their hearing is 50,000 times more delicate than ours. And if your friend busts one past your ear, generally you turn around and have something to say to him. Absolutely. Okay.
1: Unless you got your tetras in.
2: Exactly. So (laughs) that, that is the, that's the advice of the day, you know, and the other thing we'd like to comment, I'd like to comment too, because I've developed a very good friend down here by the name of Levi. He's Adam's helper, right arm, everything like that. Okay, And he is one sporty guy. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Okay. What a sport. The other day, he asked if he could drive home with me after a day's training. Yes, sir. And I said, most certainly. And the first thing he said when he got into my truck was, Lauren, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. He said, what are you doing about it? I said, gee, I totally forgot. He says, well, I haven't. He said, I got two requests to make of you. And I said, Levi, what's that? I'm at your beck and command. He says, well, he says, first off, he said, I'd like to stop at the cemetery. I want to get some flowers for my girlfriend. (laughs) Secondly, he said, is there any way we could stop at the Dollarama store? And I says, what's that for? (laughs) He says, really, Lauren, I want to buy her a box of chocolates. Fifteen minutes later, he came walking out of the store with a Kit Kat chocolate bar. <laughs> and I'm telling you right now, it feeds into good things. Because he asked me then if he could borrow my Sam's card because he wanted to take her to lunch.
1: Get her a hot dog and a slice hot of Hot
2: dog, slice <laughs> for $2.82. <laughs> so, Levi, I just want to say... You are going to have a wonderful married life. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. A oh. what, a, what a lover. Oh, he is. You know. <laughs> Lance Romance. <laughs> and getting back, one other thing I just want to talk to about it before we get into the real stuff here the other day. I know that shooting over your head can get you deaf, so you should wear hearing protection. I was at Sam's the other day having lunch. Your favorite restaurant. Favorite restaurant. Sitting there eating a piece of pizza and a hot dog. Okay, a big spender that day. And this really good-looking girl, okay, came walking up and was walking past me with a hot dog and a piece of pizza. And the place was full. There was only one little spot right beside me that was empty. So I said to her, I said, ma'am, would you like to come and sit beside me? And she just turned her head and she kept on walking. I thought to myself, son of a <laughs> bitch, somebody shot over her head.
0: Somebody <laughs> shot over her head. <laughs>
2: So let's get down to the serious stuff, guys.
0: She must not know how much money you have. (laughs) No.
2: No, That's the other thing. The hot dog dog cost me $2.82. I had $2.80 and change in my pocket. The girl says, no, I need two more cents. I gave her a $100 bill. She gave me back $99.98 change. Wow. (laughs) Honest people at Sam's. Honest people at (laughs) Sam's.
0: (laughs) <laughs> oh man, what a good what a good way to start it! <laughs> oh man, just if, if just in case you guys don't know, we never go short of laughs here uh, when we're training when Lauren's around. Lauren keep you entertained, absolutely, hundred percent. Lauren, we get tons of questions about um, line manners and mm. and all this type of stuff, and you know we have uh, we have a we talk about this a lot. We have a dog here that crouches. Mm-hmm. He don't move. Yep. He crouches over. We got one that kind of pats his feet. Yep. We got one as the marks come out. He kind of slowly picks his bum up off the ground. Yep. So um, what, what do you do about those minute things at line, at the line? You know, they're, their front feet don't move outside of the pitter-patter. What do, what do, how do we talk
2: about this all the time? How do we handle it? And Man, you turn turn around and <clears throat> you take a very young dog, okay. That's got a lot of go. A lot of times we're real happy that that little puppy is getting a lot of go. But it's a situation <clears throat> that the pitter patter can be stopped. Then trying to stop the pitter patter when the dog is five or six years old, okay. I think, and this is only my impression. I know there's a lot of people who disagree with me, is that By putting pressure on the dog, whatever you're doing, hitting him with a whip or you're burning with a collar or you're yelling at him extra loud, does more damage than anything. If he's not moving forward, does he really realize that he's pitter-pattering in front of you? Okay. It's the same thing as the five or six-year-old dog that his rear end comes up off the mat. We had that yesterday. We had a dog that went out there and just smashed that test and his, his bum come up off the ground as he was going down. And I thought hmm, maybe what should have happened there is a guy should have whacked him with a whip. And when I talked to him after, he says I've done all that. I burned him and everything like that. (laughs) But he says, what actually transpired? This dog does not move his two front feet. So I came, I was in agreement with him. Maybe there's not much you can do. The dog's going to stand up. He's a chronic stander up somewhere along the line. Maybe you could have made an issue out of it when he was younger. But by pounding up onto him when he's five, six, seven years old is not really going to do that much good okay so don't let it get started but if you get a chronic person or chronic dog that is going to be standing up slightly okay I have to say that you can do more damage to it by whacking on it and whacking on it and whacking on it and then you bring it up the next time and you still have to whack again well you're starting to lose the battle now the dog is winning the war I have a little female on my truck that comes up maybe about three inches okay and I went through the idea, if I saw her tail wag, I would make an issue out of it, okay? I have to say that I lost the battle. She still wags her tail a little bit, but her front feet do not move. Mm-hmm. So I am going to say I have to deal with it. That's all there is to it. A friend of mine, Dan DeVos, who was a great trainer out of Canada, um, had a dog called Carenza. And that influenced my You might say thoughts onto that. We were training one day, and a dog used to come up slowly. And I said, Danny, I said, your dog's standing up. And he said, Lauren, I've done everything in the world. He said, now she does not move her front feet. If I start whacking her with the whip and start coming down on her right now, I'm sorry to say, but there's a possibility I'll do more damage than what I do good. He says, now I take maybe a little bit more emphasis onto it by, in my basic training, is I do a little bit more, get your butt on the ground and leave it there. But he said, in this case, this dog was a fantastic animal, way over 100 mm-hmm. points. And it was it was a very good. And And that guy is an excellent trainer. And, you know, sometimes when he says five and five is ten, I believe him.
1: So it goes back to what you all talk about a lot is building that initial foundation. Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly. But you do have dogs that <clears throat> just have that problem. That, yeah. You know. Maybe, maybe we can look back on it and say, well, we didn't do enough when he was young. But how much, if the dog's front feet aren't moving, how much damage are you going to do by whacking him on his ass? If he can mark real
0: good, I'll take one that the stand there. So would I. And I think um, what I may do in training is try to corral some of that mm-hmm. so that it don't lead to more at the trial, at that's the hunt right. test. So, if he pitter-pats his feet in training, maybe I'll try to fix it in training and let him pitter-patter at the trial, and that's all I get is pitter-patter yep. and not creeping and breaking. Very good point. Um, I'll, I will sacrifice some maybe miss mark You know, that little dog that's pitter-patter on me right now, I'll pick up on him in training, and it's affecting his marking and training a little bit. But if I can eliminate it in training and he pitter-patters at the hunt test – he's going to go out and he's going to hit them good.
1: Mm-hmm. I want that pitter pattern training to transition Do you get to the test without a collar to a break.
0: Yes, or a severe creep. Yeah. yeah. I don't want it to, to transition into something that too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's mm-hmm. why I kind of address it. Like when Walker raises his butt up, I'll stick him, mm-hmm. um, and I want him to sit there and train him. But at, at, if he raises his butt up, and that's it at the hunt test, and I'm I'm okay with it, and I move on. Does he raise his butt up at the hunt test? I hadn't ran him in a hunt test yet, yeah. so he's younger and neither one of the uh I ran little blue, he's a croucher. He don't move but he just crouches and I'm I'm not gonna fix that. That's right, Man, that's, he that dog's a good dog. He's a good dog. <laughs> yeah. And the other two haven't run a hunt test yet. I'm interested to see if they will run this this mm-hmm. spring though. Mm-hmm. These so,
1: dogs are you talking about most of your young dogs?
0: Yeah, uh blue will be three on his birthday and the other two are just turned, are just turning two years old. Yep, <clears throat> yep. So they're they're younger. There's some younger dogs that are that are really talented and really work hard. And absolutely, a, a lot of times you see that in dogs that really like to work and really like to go. It's you know, a lot of times the ones that go up there and sit like an angel don't really want to do the work. Well, they, they don't. They're not as powerful as some of the others. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep.
2: So, I think uh, on the crouching thing. <clears throat> Where I I actually make an issue out of it, and I pick the dog up is on a blind situation. I don't like to have to almost get on my hands and knees to run them, and some of them, their nose is just about on the ground before they start off. And it's not because they don't want to do it. It's just a habit that they get into. So I do have a little check cord onto them if I think of it, and I pick them up, okay, and then I send them as soon as they're standing up straight. I Mm -hmm. do not then start dicking around with them. I pick them up, back, you know, and hope for the best. Right and and blue on the blinds he sits up high Mm -hmm. he don't
0: crouch Mm -hmm. uh, just on his marks and uh, even the one that's doing the pitter patter for me right now i'm actually putting a prone collar on him with my tab and not just using my e-collar so Mm -hmm. when i do pick up there's a little bit more of a consequence versus just pulling on the Mm e-collar so i'm trying that Um, we'll see how it translates you know we're only you know a couple of weeks back into training and We'll see how it goes. Uh, at these. any
2: time when you, you're doing that, when you get that dog that's crouching like blue, have you ever noticed that maybe he pulled off a bad mark because of his crouching?
0: What do you mean pulled well, off? Like-
2: well, he that he didn't see the bird because he ducked down behind the hill or whatever. You no. know, I cannot say any of the crouchers that I've had, uh, I cannot say that at any time did it destroy their marking on a particular mark because they were standing up, you know so or uh, crouching down so uh, i try i pick him up but i don't i don't start putting pressure onto him, you might say with a collar or anything like that you know
0: right has blue crouched his whole life <sighs> yeah he really has you I know thought he had That's why i was just wondering if you'll if you'll go back and you'll if you're ever around mike perry when he runs tiger tiger crouches britain's
1: little dog hook crouches a little bit
0: uh yeah he, he'll crouch a little bit yeah
1: Mm-hmm. Are the same genetics right there?
0: Yeah, same mama for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, different daddies, but yeah. Um, yeah. but the same genetics. Same father on Mike Perry's dog and um, and Little Blue. Yeah, Big Blue. Mister Stan Boggs is Big Blue as the father on those. Yeah, it's a, it's a marking machine. Marking machine. He was a chronic breaker <laughs> in his time, and still well today at ten. Yeah.
1: He if broke it, on if a duck you know. call about a year ago over at Tyler Patterson's. <laughs> Adam said, I walked to the line with him. I just didn't know it was going to be good.
0: When I got him out of the truck, I could tell he was going to break. He's just being a peckerhead from the time I let him out. <laughs> yeah. And I got up there, and the first bird went down. second bird went down. And the third one blew his duck call in there. It went blue. Mm-hmm. Nine, nine years old. Nine, yeah. He was eight or nine at that point. Yeah. So... You Boy, just, if,
2: if you just look at one of those dogs, though, how great that animal was if he hadn't had the breaking problem. Yeah. It's like a, a, a chap back home, Dennis Voigt. maybe 90% of the people heard about him, had a dog called Taco. I'm sure that dog would have had 300 points if he hadn't have been holding on to a bird, you know, mm-hmm. and it's a situation that he'd come in, he's in perfect shape, and he wouldn't give you the last bird maybe one time out of five, but that was enough to, you know, And Dennis was never able to cure him of it. I'm sure today if he had some maybe new methods and stuff like that, he would have been able to. I have never had a dog hold on to a bird, not want to give it to me. But I have seen indications of a dog that was capable of doing that, and I make quite an issue out of it right from the first time you see it in training you know i've n- never seen
1: one of adam's dogs get mouthy on a bird i was on a podcast the other day and they were talking about hunt tests and dogs not delivering birds back to be table fair and i've been going to these hunt tests two or three years and i don't know maybe times have changed but you just don't see that a lot of dogs is right. locked on a bird walking back to the trailer can't get it from
0: you see it some but you don't see it a lot I'm, and every and every now and then you'll see a, a dog pick a bird or eat a bird yeah you know but I can think of it just maybe
1: one or two times since I've been around. It's not much at all. No. That was what podcast that was. They were saying to these hunt test dogs that the birds they bring back, a lot of them didn't fit for the table. I disagree with that.
0: Yeah. I know what podcast you're talking about. I listened to it. Okay. It was um, uh, Barton said it on Casey. That's and exactly what it was. I couldn't remember. Yeah. Well, his disagreement of force fetch. Yeah. Well, I you just
1: – I've been around it a pretty good bit, and I hadn't and, seen one as force fetched <coughs>
0: and Barton said i know i'm gonna i'm gonna say something here that's probably out of line, and I know that it's gonna make some people mad, but he's he he disagrees with force fetch he's a, um he comes from a, a different pedigree than we do as far as british British or mm-hmm. English or whatever you know however you describe that deal, Barton is of that mm mm-hmm. I don't know lineage or whatever and that's fine that's all good it's all fine and dandy that's how he, they like to do it and you know not I'm not here to say they're wrong or uh. or right I'm not but um I think he I think what he said Spencer just to be fair to Barton is <clears throat> he I think he said that um that they have a more natural hold and that um the force fetch takes a soft hold out of them. Yeah, that's what ahead. I couldn't
1: even really remember what podcast I listened to a lot of, them, but I mm-hmm. just I knew it was somebody talking about British and that's you know that there's some great British dogs that do this stuff, but I don't know. I like to see one as force <laughs>
0: fetch. And I, I mean, I'm still I listen to it. And Cason's is a customer of ours. Great guy, Casin. Short is the standard sportsman podcast. And um, him and Brent Birch have a podcast, and it's about ducks, and it's a really good. A really good listen, but you know, and I heard Barton say that. And Barton and I are friends. um I like Barton a lot. Yeah, Martin
1: Ramsey's a nice guy. He's a Heck nice guy. Of a guy. I, mean, I enjoy he, training with him. Today um, we spent some time with him.
0: I don't. I don't have any qualms with Barton, but I, I disagree. I can't wrap my mind around the thought that force fetch makes a dog have a hard mouth. Can you, Lauren?
2: I don't think so. uh The only thing of it is maybe Barton watched the way we used to force fetch a dog, and if you looked at the James Lamb free book that I was born and brought up with, you put him on the table because he turned six months six months old, seven months old, eight months old, and you started cranking on him right off the dingbats. Now I no longer do that. What I try to do, <laughs> number one, I pass him over to a lady by the name of Lorraine Hare because she starts him off, and she teaches the dog that he's got to have something go into his mouth. There's no pressure. Now you know that you're supposed to open your mouth, then I'm going to apply pressure. Now it's the idea that it's just like collar conditioning. Some people say, well, I don't really collar condition my dog or I do it on a one or I do it on a two. That's fine and dandy, that's your method of doing it. But what you're trying to do in a roundabout way is you're trying to be able to get that dog to react properly under pressure. And force fetching is one of the first steps in doing it after the sit and after the hear. Okay, and when you apply a little bit of pressure to that dog's ear, and he grabs for that, he's understanding pressure. Pressure mm-hmm. on, pressure off. Because it's nothing worse. And Adam, I'm sure you can attest to this. And I said it on the last podcast. Somebody that brings a dog in and says, "Well, I didn't want to ruin him, so I didn't do anything with him," mm-hmm. and you have to get that dog to, line, to to mind you. And I can tell you, he can do. He can go really backwards the first time that you put just a little bit of pressure onto him. Right. You know. So. Force-fetching, in my mind, is part and parcel to teaching the dog a conditioning aspect. Mm-hmm. You'll pick it up, but the other day on the, on the whip-fetch, I can remember I used to have a buggy whip, and I did whip-fetch with the dog, and I used to try and whack him so hard it was unbelievable. And that thing would hit my hat and hit me in the ass and whatnot. <laughs> it's not that. It's a diversional type of thing. Levi was doing it the other day, walking along. He had a little piece of PVC pipe, touching the dog on the bum. And all of a sudden, the dog wouldn't pick it up. Yeah. I said, boy, there's there's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just keep on doing it until that little pap on the bum don't doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You don't have to kill him. No. Just touch him. No. You yeah. know, and that's whip fetch today. Right. That's to me the
0: thing about force fetch. It's so misconstrued is that it's brutal and it's not if yeah. you do it properly. That's right. That's right. It's not. And, <clears throat> you know,
2: that, I mean, that got us into a rabbit
0: hole right yeah. there, but that's all good. I mean, I mean, and, Force fetch is not bad. It Mm -hmm. don't teach dogs to have hard mouths.
2: Hey, I've can. i heard stories about people putting vice grips on a dog's ear because he couldn't pinch his ear. Other guys having a Coke thing strapped around their thumbs so that Mm -hmm. they could really – you had to have the dog's ear bleeding before Uh he started picking it up. Yeah. Things have changed.
0: Those days are long gone.
1: Absolutely. When I pulled up, Tim was out there petting on one, putting a bumper in their mouth, starting force fetch, loving on her, putting a bumper in her
0: mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh And if you're still doing all that stuff I think you're behind on the times Um, You know I'll I'll say that Catch up
1: It's it's an easier
0: way It's 2024 you know and, and Lauren, you learned how to force fetch forty years ago. Yep. Who taught you Noah?
2: I went through them all. I <laughs> went through the I went the Moses. S- <laughs> yeah. They learned on the art together. <laughs> <laughs> we only got two of these Labradors. We're gonna force fetch right, some weather right. while we own
0: here. That's okay,
2: guys. Pick on Lauren. I'm gonna die pretty soon. You sons the guns, you won't have anybody sitting there to listen to. Thanks, Lauren. We're gonna enjoy a few days we got with you.
1: Oh boy! <laughs> oh, I love it! I love it.
0: Um, <laughs> all right, let's must move along. All right, so I had a I had a question brought up to me, and um, I didn't write it down, but it's Kobe Cotton. I think if I remember right, boy, my mind ain't what it used to be. But he was asking me about a safety whistle on a poison bird. So before we get into whether use a safety whistle to 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 stop them early on or not, let's talk about poison birds and um when do you start teaching them and the manner you go about doing so so when when you uh, first of all describe what a poison bird is for for somebody that may or may not know what it is
2: okay a poison bird (laughs) is basically the gunner is standing out there he throws a bird you tell your dog to leave it and he has to be able to go and do a blind and then he can come back in and pick up the mark Okay, right, or if you really want to be able to put a lot of control into it, you can have two blinds out there. Now, there are different ways of doing it, and i'll uh, I'll explain my method, and there's other people out there that do fantastic i I can tell you right now poison birds are handled a lot better now than what they used to in the old days. Mm. I will do put the poison bird out on my pattern field in many instances. The person will throw a bird. And I'll have a little blind. It might only be 25 or 30 feet for this young 9, 10-month-old dog. Mm -hmm. And he goes out and he picks it up. And then I come in and I'm using cue words. Now you're going to watch. Or Some people use the word mark. I use the word watch. Okay? You go in and you pick that thing up. It might be a white bumper there. So he's going to have success all the way around. And I'll slowly start to extend that out a little bit further. However, all of a sudden you're doing that and you have Tootsie, the little female dog, or buster the little male dog who's a little bit soft and you start doing too much of that and the first thing you're going to say this dog is really smart man it turned off that mark the minute i said leave it it turned around and it went first thing you know the dog's not going to be watching that thing because he's going to say and i lived through that where i would do poison birds three or four days a week okay and i never realized it that it was maybe doing some damage to some dogs Nowadays, I don't do poison birds to that same degree. On my pattern field, I will try and stop a dog four feet, five feet from the pile sometimes, and I may give him a come-in whistle. I might turn around and send him to another pile. I might do anything like that that I try to get control right at the last minute. The other thing that I do on a poison bird, I run a dog from both sides. I turn around and I say, leave it other side and that is to give the dog a little bit of an idea that he's not supposed to pick up that bird I know that there are people that no longer do that they say there's a little bit too much you know then they they don't even want to go close to the poison bird they don't want to go through the arc they want to go right out out of the field I do not use very much pressure on a poison bird I can honestly say that any of those two-year-old dogs that are on my truck that can do a poison bird, some of those puppies that are 11 months old that are doing poison birds, they do not. If they pick it up, I walk a shame, I go out, take it out of their mouth, and say, you're not supposed to pick it up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so poison birds is a matter of teaching, not punishing. Remember the two-year-old child in a a high chair, kid, and you say, what's two and two? And he says, I don't know, Dad, and you slap him. You're not going to teach him what two and two is. Why do we turn around and spend hours and hours teaching a dog how to walk beside us on a lead, but we spend two minutes on teaching him a poison bird because we have the almighty shock collar? Now, don't forget, you get some wild animal, okay? And the guy says, yeah, but he's a wild animal. Well, most of the time I can go back and say, well, you didn't do quite enough obedience with him. Never mind. That's why he's wild. Okay? So poison birds have to be treated very, very Differently. It was the same thing when I was in the hunt test world and they used to do what they called bulldogs. The dog would be coming back. If he so much as looked at that bird that was sitting in front of him, you know, you fried him. And what do you do? You taught him to make a great big banana around him. Okay. Or if your dog picked it up, you criticized the judge for throwing it in front of the dog because Adam's dog didn't get it thrown right on him. He would hit my dog with the bird. The, the almighty caller will get him to leave it. But Absolutely. then in many instances, that's not necessarily true. So try the poison bird aspect on your pattern field. Do it. Don't put out a 300-yard blind when you're teaching him. Put out a short one. Then have the person maybe throw another bird or something like that. But this time, don't do the poison bird. Go do the mark and then do the blind. So don't get him into a routine that every time he sees a single, that he's going to end up being a poison bird. And the more competitive you are, the harder worker you are, sometimes you get yourself into that problem mm-hmm. by going out and saying, I'm going to send 10 poison birds today. Yep. Okay? And that I lived through that. It was a situation that I wanted my dog to be able to do the perfect poison bird. Well, it maybe took a little bit away from him and another thing because I didn't do enough obedience with him before I went to go on to that. All right. So, try that. And I, I run a dog from both sides, people. I recommend that other people does it. It has a great it, it it's paid dividends for me. The dog that's looking out at the wrong place on a set of marks, I can say, leave it and he'll come over. It's good hunting, running them from both sides. It's very much better on the elbow because after you've turned around and you've whacked him so many times with your elbow to be quiet, you can put him on the other side and use your elbow. Good point. So, <laughs> there's a the situation yes. or you have to be careful with that because the person will say, well, what side do you want him on? And I'll say left side. And he said, the dog's left or your left. And that is mind boggling also. But try and teach your dog a little bit of both side stuff when they're a puppy. Okay? And I it gives you about one percent more chance in certain situations than the guy that runs just from one side. And the guy that puts up a big argument of no, I don't want to run my dog from both sides, that's because he's uncomfortable. The dog is basic maybe a little bit uncomfortable also but you're uncomfortable right it's like turning around and saying listen now you're shooting hitting every duck shooting on your right side i want you to start shooting from the left side it can be done because there are switch hitters in baseball yes sir um lauren uh, one of the smartest things i've
0: ever heard i heard it from charlie moody Mm -hmm. Um, good friend of ours great guy great dog trainer sure is um he said he'll throw on a poison bird He'll throw a stick or throw a, the, hang a bird in a bush mm-hmm. or put a bird on top of a hay bale and throw something toward it, mm-hmm. make the dog think that's it. Mm-hmm. There's no bird for him to pick up mm-hmm. if, they, if they get mm-hmm. close to it. So he can just handle all he wants without burning and okay. teach and teach and teach and teach. Because what you do when you throw a bird out there and you burn that dog for going in there onto it, they're going to be like old blue. Or some of my old dogs, when you tell them, no, leave it, they're going to dart. Yeah. They towards to this one. They're going to yeah. go right. They're going to go left. But they're not going to initially go in there. And it's going to take you 50 casts
2: to get it close to it. See, here's the situation. Charlie Moody, you just made that comment about it. I've been in the game 40 years. I never thought of doing that. Unbreeding. I'll definitely start doing it now. Yeah. So, Thank you, Charlie. Yeah, when
0: even with my old dogs, if I run a, a poison bird under arc or something like that, now yeah. I throw something that's never not a duck. even thought of that. Yep. And then, on when the dog passes the gun on the way back, I have him pitch a duck out there while the dog's got his back to him. Come back, good. Now where's your mark?
2: Yep. Good. Perfect. And put very, him in there. Very good idea, people. That so, was worth the there, podcast right there. There's no
0: walk of shame. There's there's no reward for the dog. If he goes in there, you just keep casting. So. That was a great thing. When when you start running poison birds, like all right, so you've taught them and you've done them and you've done enough in training, you feel you see one at the hunt test or you see one at the trial. What is your mental approach, training versus the trial? Are you gonna are you gonna give them a, a safety whistle like back and then tweet and go ahead? All right, we're running a blind. Early on into it, or are you gonna let them get down there close to the bird and try to start
2: handling them? <laughs> no, no, no. At a trial, <laughs> at a trial, I'm going to be giving them safety whistle, and yep. I'm going to be praying, okay, <laughs> no. in this situation. But especially if it's through the ark, it's. Most of the time in the field trial game that I've found, if you do not pick up the poison bird, despite the fact that maybe you pull a little bit of a banana or something like that, the judges are very often more interested in the poison bird aspect than they are at the perfect line. Mm -hmm. So at a trial, I will play it safe. In training, I will not play it safe. I will challenge an older dog out to see what are you going to do. Okay? Now, basically, however, because of Charlie Moody, I'm going to be throwing a two-by-four out there. Mm -hmm. And really okay. challenging them. And really challenging Yeah, let them get Darned right there right. and give them one cast under the arc. And. and I watched Paul Sletton once upon a time, another great trainer, at the cattle ranch, and I had five dogs into a lamb line, and it was a poison bird that was out 150 yards, and you had to go through the arc. And I lost all but one dog, and Paul Sletton made it look pretty easy. And I now if I saw Paul, I'd say – how big is a two-by-four that you're throwing? Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's doing that. Because his dogs just made it look so easy. It was unbelievable. Now, Paul, I am hacking and swearing and kicking and going and blaming the bird boy for throwing the bird too close to the line.
0: You but, know. you know, going to Paul, that school, and I have, you know, I, we all study different people, and I don't know enough about Danny's Farmers mm-hmm. crowd, but I'm familiar with the, the Mike Lardy crowd the ray votes the andy atars, the pats you know um paul learned from andy worked for andy ray all those guys uh chris oryer all those guys think on a higher level than most of the people that i've been around Mm -hmm. and and they're they're, all their dogs look the same and do the same Mm -hmm. um and I'm not surprised one bit that Paul got them through there very Their very dogs smooth. look so comfortable. Me and you spent the day
1: training with Andy and them, and their dogs just look so comfortable out there, so mm-hmm. free.
0: Yep. 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 Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, good. So, <clears throat> that's Poison birds. Let's finish up with this, Lauren. Let's talk about um, the set of marks that we ran yesterday. And all we, we ran it all different types. We ran it from standout singles. From left to right, standout sing- singles, middle, left, right. We did um, a double on the two short guns, and did a long retired single. We did it all sorts of different ways. Okay. So when do you know to throw all singles? When do you notice know challenging them out to a standout double? When do you when do you retire that double and then do a, a long single? Or even when do you go to the triple and retire all of them? At what point, when you got a set of marks and you're breaking it down through your truck, and I know you don't have twenty five to do like you used to, but you used to have a dog that was, you know, ready to do the singles, and you used to have a dog that was open and going to do the triple retired. At what point do you start challenging that progression? Well, what's your indicators? Honest,
2: honestly speaking, yesterday is a perfect example. I had four dogs on there that I call old dogs two-years-old dogs, going to be three-years-old. And I came up with them, and I ran it as a triple. Not one of them did it. Right. Not one. They all, the center gun, they ran on the wrong side of it because it was a converging-type throw, or it was thrown in. The birds were placed at the foot of a hay bale, okay? There was a line of hay bales, and they could not, they had to go smashing into the hay bales to hit that bird. A simple mark. Uh, we just it, couldn't hardly we get thought. It real then good. Then we had another one where there was a little bit of a water puddle in, in front of the long one, and for some reason the dogs didn't want to go through the water puddle, they wanted to run around the backside of it. And I came up there, and honestly speaking, people, it went through my mind, even though I criticized the heck out of other people that do this, I wanted to see if my dog could do it. And after I ran dogs that didn't learn as we say in good old English, shit. I decided that I better break this thing down. Right. And I still had a problem breaking it down because the birds thrown in front of the hay bale, okay, which the other day when they were talking about bird placement, if you ever find a low uh, hay bale, try to run the dogs right into the wall. I started doing it as singles and doubles. Okay? And I think at that particular time maybe the dogs learned a little bit. But the dogs that I threw a triple at, nothing. And yet I'm a proponent of saying you got a theme a little bit here. Dennis Voice, favorite words. You got a theme. I should have ran that thing as singles and then come back maybe later on at another day, okay, with Adam and ran it maybe as a double and a single mm-hmm. or a single and a double. And then I could have come in and said, well, now the dogs are doing much better. I'm going to run that thing as a triple. And then I would have maybe taught the dogs. But no, I got into the idea. I want to see if my dogs can do it. Okay. And it was me. I look at it now, and I don't think that my four older dogs learned anything. Mm-hmm. So that is one thing that we maybe we have done a lot of. Uh, the other day when we were over at uh, Tom's place, and we broke that thing down. I was with Levi, and we broke it down in singles, and in the next. Time we went out there, we did a double and a single, and the third time we went out there, the dogs were doing much better mm-hmm. and it was a contrary mark that we were throwing into the brush and stuff like that. yesterday, when I looked up there, the only mark that I said i should sorry that's it's wrong when we were talking at him I said the mark on the coin- on the point there we had a problem with it last year, okay mm-hmm. and I knew for a fact, because Rick Dresser did this once, threw a bird right in the middle of a bunch of hay bales, where the dogs had to smash into the hay bales to hit it if they were going to hit it, with it in the ra- and they couldn't wind it. As far as the long mark was concerned, it was basically just get up and run. So we were having a walk away with it. I should have realized that that test set up was going to be very difficult, okay, but I didn't. And that is a fault that we fall into very, very often. I kicked my ass last night, laying there in bed, saying, "God, Lauren, why did you do it?" Now I'm going to go back there now and try to undo what I did the other day. I'm going to go back, and I am going to run singles with a few of those dogs that didn't know that they were in Alabama when they were trying to market. <laughs> you know. So, and the, the funny part about it, we had a we had a fellow out there yesterday. What was the guy's name? Uh, the Little, I think he's an Italian guy. (laughs) No, no, he's a pro. He's a pro. Oh, Carlos. Carlos. He brings out four dogs and he says, oh, I don't know whether they can do this. He ran them and he banged them. I mean to say his dogs went out there and did a heck of a job onto them. But he he was smart enough to break them down. Yeah. You know, so those were, you know, I take my hat off to the guy.
0: I did it all sorts of different ways. I even did, I had a couple of dogs that are coming three. I did his singles because yesterday was their first day back. Yep. From hunting they've been gone from for two and a half three months yep. so i put them down as singles just they gotta get the marking better you know they hadn't seen a, a retired triple you know? oh. so but i had dogs i had dogs when i broke it down that really did very good mm-hmm. and i said man maybe i should have challenged them because they didn't put a foot in the wrong place mm-hmm. and then i had guys i broke it down that that you know later in the day those marks got harder that long gun became more pronounced Mm -hmm. the sun was hitting on its hide better (laughs) and then the middle gun when you would send for it they would kind of go and dart for the long gun Mm -hmm. because the middle guns
2: retired so there's another thing that came up in that thing yesterday we talk about I'll, i'll get your opinion onto it we had the triple set up there and i had one of the dogs that came up uh who's you put it this way a little bit I won't say pokey, but a little bit nervous on the line. And I wanted to take out the center bird. And what he did is that he came up, took off, went about 10 feet for the center bird, and then went out and pounded Jeffrey at the other end. Right. And then I brought him in and I took out the center bird. Mm-hmm. Did I do the right thing by letting him have that long bird? Or should I have said no here and called him back? And maybe got into a little bit of a twisting arm twisting match with him, and made him do it the way I wanted to do it. What is your opinion on that? That particular
0: dog, that pokey dog that's mm-hmm. a little nerved up, some I probably would have let him go mm-hmm. um, The only thing that I don't like about it you had him pointed at the middle gun, mm-hmm. and he goes out and he breaks mm-hmm. his line and he darts for the for the long gun. That's mm-hmm. the only thing. I don't like about that i still think you were in the right i still think you did the right thing by letting him go mm-hmm. because his confidence his nervousness mm-hmm. and maybe not his willingness to to go and do all right so i think you're 100 percent right i called some dogs back right there i remember two instances maybe three instances but now what here's Here's the factor that's different between what you had and I had. I had not thrown that long gun yet, mm-hmm. okay, so they were not darting after a bird. they were going after a station that they that the sun was hitting on that they could identify mm-hmm. that they couldn't earlier in the day. So I stopped those dogs and called them back. Um, I had it retired, so I come up and I think one of them I tried to even again a colts send all right, and it broke again. So then I had it come back. Had Austin come up while we, I, I tell him and it just this is the flash me. I say, all right, mm-hmm. Austin, show me your boobs. And uh, he stands up from behind the blind. He's six foot six, mm-hmm. so you can see him ten miles. You see the whole from his waist up, you know. And then he sits back down. Mm-hmm. Good, good, right there. And the dog made it out there, you know, and did good. Then there was another one that, um, did I put a little correction on to right there for? you know I think this dog was better than the dog before mm-hmm. so I challenged her out I sent her she broke her line darted for the long gun stop mm-hmm. Now here come here now right there good now another cold sin. she broke again stop I put a nick onto her mm-hmm. now come here come here then I had Austin flash me mm-hmm. boom and she makes it out there Mm -hmm. i feel like that little dog learned something i didn't didn't decimate her momentum i didn't scramble her brains it was just a Mm -hmm. gosh dang it i didn't ask you not to do that Mm -hmm. um but the whole difference in what you did and what i did is i did not i hadn't even thrown that long gun yet i was doing it as a single at the end Mm -hmm. so
2: well that same thing happened i think to lorraine uh, 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 on another day the dog came in she switched sides with it but it it lied to her, it still took off where it wasn't supposed to take off and she brought it back in and she simplified. She did not put a collar correction onto it. Okay? Now this dog is what, six years old or something like that? Mm -hmm. I think maybe a collar correction or a nick was warranted. Right. Because it's notorious for doing that at trials. Right. Especially on water. Okay? And so in this situation here, don't kill it, but show it maybe your displeasure to a certain degree right okay
0: i think another deciding factor why i corrected it one dog and i didn't the other is um i think the one that i corrected has a little bit more talent Mm -hmm. and i felt like she had a better understanding of where that bird was versus the other one uh it knew it was out there somewhere Mm -hmm. right so um i think i think that was a, a big factor in what i did and the other one she has a little bit more tendency to kind of go her own way. So, and I know she's just, I don't even know if she's two yet, mm-hmm. but I, I'm, I'm trying to lay a foundation that it's not do whatever the frick you want to do. It's we're a team, mm-hmm. whether it's marks or blinds, we're a team. And we're going to try to do this in a manner in which we do it as a teamwork. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the frame. That's the mindset you're trying to teach right there with her. And I'm trying to maybe overcome some of her. Yeah.
2: And, you know, and going back onto this, and I know it still happens to it, uh, same thing today, even though there's a lot more videos out there saying no. But there used to be a chap in Canada by the name of Bruce Kelly. He's passed on now. And he bought himself a Labrador. And it was a show dog. The first time that he came out with the dog, it wouldn't even pick up a bumper. And by the time that dog passed at seven or eight years old, I don't think I ever saw Bruce miss a set of landmarks. But you never knew how he was going to pick it up. One day he would say, okay, go get that one there, go get that one there. And the dog would go get the long one and come back in short. And and I guess that taught me total relaxation because he never burned a dog. He bought himself a collar, but he never turned it on. Mm -hmm. Okay. But his dog was capable of doing it. Now, I was brought up in the primary selection era. Because we didn't have flyers in Canada. Primary selection or secondary? No, primary. I was brought in. You're going to turn around there. The long bird just went off, but you're going to take up that short one. Okay. And then watching Dave Roram's tapes and listening to people that went to his seminars and everything, he started this business of secondary selection. And I think I've heard that he would say, no, you know, you're going to get the bird, the last bird down. And then the next bird is going to be my choice. And then I heard people say No. He will actually go out and say, no, I'll, you take it out third if you want it. If you want to go that way and you want to nail that other long bird, but you're going to have to take the bird that I want last. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, I've never really sat down and talked with a gentleman onto that, but he's had some pretty awesome marking dogs. And are they totally relaxed? I know people that, hook, uh, that burn dogs if they hook a gun. Yeah. I mean, to say it's a situation in which it's, uh, you know, and... I don't think that's the right thing to do, but there is a correction that could be applied, maybe a whistle, if the dog is fading with the window, the gun. Okay? So I I would, I dare say that it is a call at the moment, and I think sometimes you can sit back if you want to listen to conversations like Adam and I have, and he might say, well, Lauren, maybe you should have done this. Or I turn around and I can say, well, Adam, you know, maybe you should have done that. And not say you're full of shit, excuse the language, but yeah okay maybe the next time i'll try that way Mm -hmm. so if anybody has any ideology on how they go about picking up marks okay by all means uh, you know step up and email adam or text them or whatever to say well this is the way i do it and i have success you know i let them take out whatever bird they want i don't start playing around i don't think you can do it that way but there are some people maybe that have that idea to do it you know um I, I would even take it as far
0: as if anybody has a connection with um um Dave Rohram. Yep. Yeah. I'd love to have Dave Roram on this deal and talk oh, yeah. talk selection. Talk Excellent. dog. I'm gonna talk about a man that's
2: very I don't know him.
0: If he walked in right now I wouldn't know him no more than I can fly. Oh you would know him.
2: No, I would know him because he'd have to duck going through that doorway <laughs> first thing.
0: But um you, we're talking about a man I've seen at nationals. Always mm-hmm. competitive in the field trials. Always competitive at the, at the nationals. And I think maybe a, a daughter of his mm-hmm. runs his dogs now. Mm-hmm. So, um, Dave, I know you listen. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, if anybody does have a connection with uh, Dave Rohram, I would love to put in a phone call to him and, and have him on the podcast.
2: I'd, I'd like. I'd like to. I'd like to see. Just sit down and watch her train one day, find out if she was the same girl at Sam's. Might have been. <laughs> <laughs> I got a question
1: for y'all. <laughs> <Might have been. laughs> Can't hear. How's y'all's orange and white drill been going? Are y'all still doing that? Or where you at on that, Lauren?
0: We did it. We did it. Uh, you it's done called with it. Pazobon drill. What's what we named it? Yeah. Pazobon yeah, drill. Jerry
2: Possebon. Okay. God bless his soul. I hear he's not in great health right now. He's got a sore back. But okay. I know Jimmy Andrews is trying to get him so that he'll marshal the national up there because okay. he. He's uh, him and Chris Bales are two fantastic marshals when it comes to training, and Jerry and both of them are fantastic dog trainers. Really. You're gonna win that national, ain't you, Lord? Uh, not this year. Maybe in about ten years from now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll <laughs> put it this way: my father lived to 107. He'd still be alive today if he hadn't stopped smoking. So I mean, <laughs> say, come on. <laughs> <laughs> the,
0: orange, the 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 drill, we did it, and the dogs got better at it. Okay, I was just curious. Hey, didn't they Lauren? Oh, yeah. Oh, there was one day it was like there's I was like, There's no way my dogs are getting anything out of this. That's the
1: first day I was here, you did it. And I talked to some people that listened to your podcast. Me and Justin Swan talked about it for about an hour and I was just curious to check back and see how it went. Yep.
0: The dogs got better at it. They learned how to hunt. I mean you talked better. about it at the national
1: mm-hmm. last year where it was a few instances where it'd be nice if those dogs instead of checking out four
0: hundred yards out
1: the back door, to sit right there and
0: hunting. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Now we still have some that have on our real marks that checked out on us, but you know, I feel like it's there's some there's some carryover there, and I think it worked out good. Didn't it, Lauren? Oh, it definitely did. Yeah, definitely. Lauren, I Lauren said I was ready to take my toys and leave the sandbox <laughs> and some shit. <machine. laughs> yeah. yeah, you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He sat me down and had a good stern talking to me. So it's <laughs> all good. Another tool in the toolbox. Yep,
2: yep. It worked out.
0: got you got anything else, Lauren?
2: No, nope, I'm fine, guy.
0: You ready to go train them? Yes, sir. Another good day. It's gonna be pretty. Yep, beautiful day. Cold this morning though. <laughs> so, but uh, anyway, look. All right, guys, we're gonna we're gonna end this thing. Uh, appreciate y'all listening, Lauren. Thanks for coming on with us, Spence. Okay. Glad you're here today. Yes, sir. Um, you got here just in time to hop in with us. Yeah. Um, thanks to everybody for listening to another episode of the Doghouse Podcast. Don't forget to um, to share it. Tell everybody you know about us. We appreciate it. And uh We look forward to seeing y'all around. Uh, We out.